Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. But we're in Isaiah chapter 32. And just since we've been away for a couple of weeks from there, uh, I want to kind of hit the refresh button on that to catch up where we've been so far uh, in our journey. Uh, The book is called Isaiah. It's named after Isaiah who wrote it. He's a prophet of God. And prophets were called to stand in the place of God before the people of God to deliver the thoughts and the word of God to the people of God who had possibly wandered away from God. Uh, that's a lot of, notice there's a lot of God in that because the prophet existed for the purpose of bringing glory to God through teaching his people how to glorify God as well. Um, what was his message or what has been Isaiah's message to his people so far that we found in the first, couple, first 30 chapters or so? If you were to characterize it into one simple message or one big idea, I was thinking about the other day and I'm thinking if we're going to simplify it as much as we can, Isaiah is saying, please, 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 for the love of God, get right with God and stick with him. That's basically what he's really saying. And that's really the message of most of the prophets It's like, what is wrong with you people? God has been so good to you. Why do you keep running away? Right. That's basically what he's saying. And really, if we if we attribute that to our own lives, we're like that, aren't we? God has been so good to us, yet so many times we find ourselves wandering away. It's like that old hymn says, one of my favorite hymns. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. All of us are prone to do that, aren't we? We're prone to step away. We're prone to just kind of get a little too big for our britches and wander in our own minds and wander away from God. It almost seems like this oversimplified formula, but a lot of us can identify with the history of Israel, which is why I think, and one of the things I think we have to look at through the lens is we see a lot of ourselves and a lot of the trajectory of our personal relationship with God in the history of Israel's relationship with God, don't we? Israel has this multi-generational, on-again, off-again relationship with the Lord. How many of you remember like in high school and middle school, you had that couple or maybe a couple of couples that they loved each other one day and then they broke up the next only to get back together the next day again? If you didn't know that couple, you were that couple. That everybody else was like, man, they just are so toxic, right? They just had this on-again, off-again relationship with God. Israel did the same thing. There'd be days when they're like, oh, we love you, God. There is no other God but you. We're your people. You're our God. And, and we're like this forever. And then the very next day, like, ooh, there's a shiny idol. And they go chasing after that. This is what we do, isn't it? This is why the message of Isaiah is... When you rebel against God, there will be consequences for that. But God is forgiving and he brings us to. We see this pattern. We see this pattern. The last message that we saw in chapters 30 and 31, it was basically they were, they were under siege from Assyria. right? And there were people encamped all the way around, around Jerusalem. And, and, and God gave them advice. And his advice was, wait on me. I will deliver you in my time. That was his advice. But what did Hezekiah and the rest of the nobles of Jerusalem decide that they were going to do? Hey, let's go talk to Egypt and see if we can borrow some of their horses and, and some of their army. And, and maybe we can just you know, take care of Assyria on our own. We don't need God. God can sit this one out. What happened? Well, it didn't go well. As you would imagine, they didn't follow God's advice and they mounted, the Bible said, they mounted sin upon sin. And it's the cycle that we continually see with Israel and really it's the cycle that we see in our relationship with the Lord too. Right? There's a, there's a few steps on it. First, 
You go from having this sweet reliance on God. You're walking with him in faith and in trust and you're relying on him. But then it deteriorates eventually to rebellion against him. So I don't know if I'm outright rebellious against God. Anytime we walk away and anytime we doubt his steps and anytime we say, you know what, I'm going to go my own way. That's rebellion. It doesn't have to be a violent rebellion. It doesn't have to be like this, this like I'm just angry at you, God, kind of rebellion. We step away from God's path and we step out of his path. It's rebellion. So reliance deteriorates to rebellion and rebellion will then result in the removal of God's hand. God says, look, there is there is protection, but it is under the banner of my will and my sovereign guidance over your life. And God doesn't have to lower the boom on us. Do You know, this God doesn't have to lower the boom. He doesn't have to make an act of aggression from us. All he has to do is just remove that hand of protection. Because the world that we live in that's broken and sinful and cursed and wicked will take its toll on us. And so, so rebellion leads to the removal of God's hand and protection. And then removal of God's intervention and protection results in judgment and destruction and depression and all kinds of different things. And it takes on different forms. Judgment then, hopefully, hopefully. In that period of judgment, we find ourselves crying out to God saying, why did I ever wander from you to begin with? And judgment hopefully leads to repentance. And repentance then leads to a return to God. And return leads to then redemption by God. And then redemption results in a reformation of I am back with God and then restored reliance upon him. It's this cycle over and over and over and over again. And here's the beautiful thing about God. He'll walk that cycle with us and continue to walk that cycle with us because he loves us. I don't know if I would be as patient as God. If somebody continues to just like rely, rebel, and all that, and they're like, come on, we've got to stop this cycle. But God continues to say, forgiveness is available if you will repent. So I don't know where you are on that cycle right there today. We're going to kind of look at that cycle a little bit. And and this is an interesting piece of scripture that we're looking at today because it's going to be looking at a literal time in history. But it is also God uses that literal time in in, in Jewish history and Old Testament history to actually foreshadow what is going to take place on a global spiritual level off in the book of Revelation someday. When God sets up his glorious kingdom where there is no more strife, there is no more sin, there is no more heartache, there's none of that anymore. Man, wouldn't it be nice if he'd set that up today? I mean, he could. All of that could start working towards it today if he wanted to. But this is what we have to come to understand is that there is a need for us to always return to the God that we left. And we see in verse number uh, six of chapter 31, we're going to look at chapter 32 this morning, but... This is what kind of highlights and kind of dives us into it. Verse number six of chapter 31 says this. Return to the one that the Israelites greatly rebelled against. This is good advice for us anytime that we are wandered from God. Return to the one that even the Israelites rebelled against. This is not something new. If you feel like you have a distance between you and God, you're not the first person. You're not the first one. If you feel like a church is distant from God, it's not the first church. God's people, God's chosen people constantly wandered from him. And returned to him. And he says this, for on that day, on that day of return, every one of you are going to reject the worthless idols of silver and gold that your own hands have sinfully made. Maybe you've never been there before, but there is a time when you come to repentance and return to God, when all the other things that distracted you and pulled you away just look like trash. 
Now, you've never been there, but that's when you know that you're in a place of, of spiritual revival and repentance and return to God where nothing is as beautiful to you as God. Nothing is as beautiful to you as the Savior and what He's done for you. So this is where we are. And where is Israel in the cycle that we're looking at? They're in the return phase. And God is beginning to say, here's what's going to happen. Now that I'm going to conquer Assyria, here's what's going to look like. And it's something that's going to take place. And a lot of scholars believe that this king that they're going to talk about in in verse number one is is King Josiah, who was a, a godly king who did what was right in the eyes of God. We also look at this in a a prophetic way of saying that there is the king, a king, capital K, the king of all kings, who is going to come one day and set all things right. So let's let's look at that in that context. Beginning in verse number one, it says this. Indeed, a king will reign righteously and rulers will then reign righteously. Each will be like a shelter from the wind, a refuge from the rain, like flowing streams in a dry land so that, and the shade of a massive rock in an arid land. So we see here that God says that a king or Isaiah says that a king is going to take power who's going to rule righteously and justly. Wouldn't that be nice to see the rulers and the leaders of our day actually rule righteously and justly, right? We'll talk about who that king is in just a minute. But from here, the text gets really descriptive of what happens when there's a righteous rule. And it's, it's very metaphorical and it's very beautiful. We'll look at that in a little bit more in detail. But for sake of time today, I want to skip down to verse number 16 to see the overall effect of this righteous rule. Look at verse number 16. What does it look like when the king is, in, is, is enthroned? What does it look like when this righteous king is in place? Here it is. Justice will inhabit the wilderness. And righteousness will dwell in the orchard. The result of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quiet confidence forever. Then my people will dwell in a peaceful place in safe and secure dwellings. So we see that a new rule is promised to be established, which is going to bring peace. It's going to bring security. It's going to bring prosperity. In other words, there's a better day ahead, right? There's a better day that is promised. There's a better day that's coming. Did Israel deserve a better day? No. But in God's grace, what is he going to provide better day. Do we deserve a better day? But in God's grace, what does he promise us? A better day is ahead. Right? Father, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would, uh, that Holy Spirit, you would be the teacher. And I pray that you would have me say anything that, um, that would hinder your work from going forward this morning. Uh, and do your work in us and among us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, how many of you, uh, how many of you like time travel stories. Like, what? We shifted really hard on this, right? I promise there's a method to my madness, right? How many of you like time travel stories? Like Back to the Future, right? Planet of the Apes, I guess, is a time travel story. Uh, what are some of them that I'm missing here? What, what are some other time travel stories you like? Timeless. Timeless. I loved that show. Yeah, I didn't say it because I didn't know if anybody would know what I was talking about, right? Okay, I love time travel stories, right? Because I'm a history buff, and so... I love, I love to watch period pieces and dramas and things like that. I love to just kind of look at the past, right? Uh, the other night, um, uh, Stacy and Noelle and I were out to dinner. Nat- Natalie was at work, so we didn't just like, let her starve on purpose. Um, she, was at, she was at work. So we were there, and we were talking, and all of a sudden the subject of time travel came up. And uh, so Stacy asked the question, like, okay, if you, if you had a choice, if you could only go into the future or you could only go into the past, which one would you want to do? So I'm going to ask that question. How many of you say, if I had a time machine and I could only go in one direction, I would want to go in the past? Okay, I'm a pastor, all right? If you had a time machine, you could only go in one direction, you say, I would go to the future. And how many of you say, I don't trust that newfangled technology? I still haven't got the internet. I'm not getting on the time travel machine, right? 
Yeah, right? Okay, so so a lot of you are like, I ain't trusting that. No, I'm gonna stick with my I'm gonna stick with my uh, my mimeograph and things, okay? So so I would like to go to the past. Noelle said she'd like to go to the future. Stacy said she wants to go to the Roaring Twenties and live with the people in Downton Abbey. Um, and, and that's just where she wants to be. I got real noble when I said, you really wouldn't want to use this time machine to do some good to go into the past and change like some of the horrible tragedies that have ever taken place? And Stacy looks at me and she goes, Derek. Whoa. I didn't get a Derek Edward. Normally I get a Derek Edward. But anyway, she said, you know that you can't go back in time and change the course of history. It messes with the delicate fabric of time. We can only observe history. We cannot impact history alone. Guys, I've been married to this woman for 20 years, and I have never loved her more than I want to. <laughs> I'm like, God, God created this one woman for me for life. That is it. That was my affirmation right there. I'm like, you have, you have thought about the delicate nature of time. <laughs> this is amazing. You just, we've unlocked a new level in our relationship. It's awesome. So, but anyway, you're like, why in the world are we talking about time travel? Here's the thing. A lot of us are, are, are kind of like fascinated by that because maybe we're not happy with our present. Maybe we look back at the older days and we think, man, those were the best days. And I think what happens is some of us would say, I want to go back to the past because there's maybe some unfinished business or there's, I look at that as being my better days. Usually those people are a little bit older because they think their best days are behind them. Younger usually say, I want to go to the future because they believe that their best days are still ahead of them, right? Everybody, when they're a kid, they want to become an adult. And when you become an adult, what do you do? You cry about the fact that you felt so much better when you were a kid. We're never happy with where we're at. Here's what this passage teaches us. This passage teaches us that no matter where you may be in life, better days are always ahead. You may be sitting on the mountaintop right now, and you feel like this is the best that it's ever going to get. You're wrong. Because God says there's a better day ahead. There's a better day ahead. You may be sitting in the midst of the darkest valley you've ever been in, and you're thinking, I can't see a way out of here. Here's the promise to you. There's better days ahead. And this is what Isaiah is writing and telling the nation of Israel in these four chapters of these four chapters that we're going to look at this morning. There is a better day ahead. God has promised us that he wins. God has promised us that he will be victorious, that he is going to set up a righteous kingdom where it will be eternal. And there will be no more sin. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more pain. There will be no more Satan. There will be none of that anymore. And it's not a matter of if. It's just a matter of when. It's already promised, and it's promised by the one whose word is settled forever in heaven, like we looked at with the kids this morning. So let's look this morning at this blessed hope. And this is a promise that not only Isaiah made, this is a promise that believers have been holding on to ever since the promise was made. Paul told Titus when he was ministering to the, to the Cretans, to the people in Crete, who were horrible. I mean, they were tough. They were really hard. And here's what he says. He says, we wait for a blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he says, proclaim these things and encourage and rebuke with all authority. and Let no one disregard you. Church, this is a promise to us that while the rest of the world may be saying, I don't know about this God thing anymore. I think it's a fairy tale of days gone by. Cling to the promise that there is a God. He rules and reigns in heaven. And he will rule and reign forever in a perfect kingdom when he says it. Amen. 
That's our blessed hope of the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This passage reminds us of the promise that we have in God, and it's what the Apostle Paul encouraged Titus with as he ministered. It's an encouragement to us as well. No matter what you may be currently living through, this is the promise, and this is what we need to get, is that better days are ahead. I can cling to that promise. So let's look at some facts about the promise. Number one, one of the facts is there's a better king. A better king will rule. A better king will reign. We see that in chapter 32. For a moment, I just want you to think about the kingdoms and the governments and the empires of history. I said, I'd like to have a time machine to go back in the past. There's some periods of the past that I just, I love to study and they fascinate me. I'm like, I think I'd like to see those in person. You know, I don't know if I'd want to go to Egypt. I really, it's just too hot and sandy. Um, you know, there's the Mongols. I like their, I like their barbecue, but other than that, no, I don't want to see that. But I'd like to see, <clears throat> I'd like to see like the Greco-Roman world and like Greece and Rome and, and things like that. And I'd really like to see the American Revolution, those types of things. There's periods of history that kind of fascinate you probably as well. But you know, there's something that you have to own up to in every period of history, no matter how much they may draw you in and interest you. They were corrupt. Every period, every rule, and every reign of history has had corruption in it. Now, some may be more corrupt than others, right? But they're all, there's never been a righteous rule and a just rule on earth. They've all had flaws. And why? Because those rulers were sinfully flawed. And so sinfully flawed rulers rule sinfully and flawed. There's always some of that. You may even say, well, until America. No, we still got sinfully flawed rulers as well. And the reason is because they're sinfully flawed people as well, right? There's no one that is righteous. No, not one. That even goes for, for, for nations as well. As a matter of fact, we see over in chapter 34 that no nation, no kingdom passes the righteousness test in the eyes of God. Look at verse number one of chapter 34. It says, you nations come here and listen. You peoples, pay attention. Let the earth and all that fills it hear. The world and all that comes from it. The Lord is angry with all the nations. He's angry with all the nations. He's furious with all their armies. He will set them apart for destruction, giving them over to slaughter. Now, this is a, a prophetic passage that's telling us that all the world will one day stand before God to be judged. We're going to be judged on whether we were righteous or whether we were sinful. And guess what? We all stand condemned as sinful. Except for those of us who have pled the blood of Jesus Christ. Who follow him and who have given ourselves to him. And he is ours and we are his and we are saved. When God sees us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees his son. That's the covering that we have. See, when sinners rule, they're naturally bent to rule sinfully. And tell me this, what king, queen, president, emperor has not been a sinner? Every single one of them has. In our text, we see this, that there's coming a day, there's coming a kingdom when a king will reign righteously and the rulers will reign, will rule justly. Now, in your translation, it may say indeed, or it may say beholds, coming from that same Greek word that basically means to pay attention to this, cling to this, don't miss this. This is one of those core truths that if you don't grasp this, everything else is going to be harder to understand. This is a promise you don't let go of. There's coming a day when a king will reign righteously and his rulers will reign justly. The truth is that there is coming a day for that. We hear a lot about justice in our culture, don't we? Social justice or justice for this person or justice for that person. There's injustice in every single culture. Every single culture that has ever been, there's injustice. Injustice occurs... When those with power and authority use their power, not for the good of others, but they use their power to 
continue or entrench their power even more. See, God said, I, I, I've, I've put government in place to help others. But what most people say when they're given charge of government is I'm going to use government to help me. I'm going to use that power that I have to help me and serve their own benefit and own prosperity at the expense of other people. And what flows from this is that those who have power are, friend, are friendly to power and they prosper at the expense of those who don't. So your text says in verse numbers five through eight that the righteous king will not allow for fools to claim nobility. It says it also says that scoundrels will no longer be looked at as important. Isn't that interesting? It says when this king comes... It's going to be a new system put in place. It says fools will no longer be able to claim ability and scoundrels will no longer be able to have any power. Can you think of any fools that might sit in power today? <laughs> Can you think of any scoundrels that might have authority here today? All right, I'm, not, I'm just going to leave it there and that's it. I'm done, all right? doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're from. You can all agree on that, right? Isaiah goes on to deliver this warning uh, to complacent women in verses 9 and stuff, which is really a metaphor for people who are just blind to the wickedness of the world's system, of this corrupt system that we see, where people are just constantly grasping for power because they think that's their security. So you keep on grasping for all that, thinking your money or your wealth or all of that stuff is your power, but it's not. It's all going to crumble down. And then what are you going to do? Because there's coming a day when the righteous king will rule. And if all you have is based upon unrighteousness. You're going to have to have a new way to live. You're going to be cut all the way down to the bare bones. And what do you have after that? We see this playing out today, right? We live in a culture today that, man, we reward people who don't really contribute a whole lot to society. We reward them with a, a lot of power and a lot of influence. Those who work the hardest to really make society better, they do it at a very, very low amount of reward. But our text says that one day all that upside, all that's upside down right now is going to be turned back on its head. And when that happens, we see the effect of the righteous king. Look at verse number 15 of 32. Until the spirit from on high is poured out on us, the desert will then become an orchard. The orchard will then seem like a forest and then justice will inhabit the wilderness and righteousness will dwell in the orchard. The result of the righteous of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be the quiet confidence forever. And then my people will dwell in a peaceful place in safe and secure dwellings. You will be happy in verse 20 as you sow seed beside abundant water and as you let oxen and donkeys rage range freely. So studying this passage, I was looking at it. Immediately my mind went to C.S. Lewis's line of the because we know the story of the land in which the wardrobe and the four kids walk through the wardrobe in Narnia. What season is it? Winter. Right? It's cold, which is my favorite season, by the way. But, you know, I understand the metaphor that he's going to use. And what did they say? What did they say about, about Narnia? He says, it's always winter and never Christmas, right? How sad. It's always winter and never Christmas. No breaks from school, none of it, right? But what happens when Aslan is on the move? Everything begins to fall out. Right, the white witch keeps everything cold and desolate and nothing is good for you. And then all of a sudden when Aslan shows up, what happens? The world and the earth begins to come to life. Teeming with uh, new leaves on the trees and flowers and the animals are coming out of hibernation. And it's a beautiful place all of a sudden. This is the picture we see of the righteous king. When he rules, everyone prospers. It has an effect. When righteousness is in place, everyone prospers. 
This is the king and how he will rule for us one day. And that leads to the next better thing. All right? A better king will reign. Number two is a better design will prosper. A better design is going to prosper, for, prosper us. This better day when God sets up his kingdom will be run by a totally different design than we're used to in the world. We've grown up in a, in a world where, and most people have, where they don't trust the people that are over them. Right? Because they're like, at any time, you could use that to hurt me. You could use that, that authority to hurt me. And we saw the warning to those who prosper by the corrupt design of the present. But then there's a pronouncement of woe in verse number one in chapter 33. It says, woe you destroyer who has never been destroyed. You traitor who has never been betrayed. When you have finished destroying, you yourself will then be destroyed. When you have finished betraying, then they will betray you. Scholars believe that this is a pronouncement on Sennacherib, who was, the, uh, who was the head of the Assyrian Empire. I believe that's true. But I also believe that this is, this is also, if we look at it metaphorically out into the future, this is a pronouncement upon all the forces of evil as well. It says, you destroy, but you, you, you've never been destroyed yourself. And have you ever noticed when you watch like movies that the villain, when they're finally defeated, what's the look on the villain's face when they're finally defeated? It's always shock. Right? Why? Because they're just like this first. They're used to always getting their way. They're used to always winning. They're used to their system always being the one that's followed. One day the king is going to change the system. And righteousness will prevail. And evil, like manipulation and and power power grabbing and all that stuff, it's all going to be gone. It's all going to be gone. And then sin and death are finally going to be judged and get the death sentence itself. Look at our text. Isaiah says in chapter 33 that at the moment when it seems like sin and justice is at its height, what happens? Look at verse number 10. It says, now I will rise up, says the Lord. I will lift myself up. Now I will be exalted. Because when it seemed like the destroyer was as high as he could be, when it seemed like evil and all that stuff prevailed, And it seems like sin is just running rampant and sin is having its effect on the whole world. What happens? God says, I will rise up. I will be exalted. I will be lifted high. high." I don't know. Is that excite anybody else? This is the promise. And this is a sure promise to us. Throughout history, we've seen the same thing happen, right? Empires and nations rise to power. But what happens? Another scrappy nation comes along and they rise up and then they take power. And it keeps on going. But there is one day going to be that final rise to power. And that is the rise of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Which, by the way, he's already in power now. Already in power now. But he's going to take it to where he's exalted. And he's like, look, I'm tired of messing around with you guys. It's finally time to set up my kingdom. But here it is. This is the final rising in church. Let this encourage you today. When you look around and it may seem like sin is winning and it may seem like heaven is reeling, it may seem like his word and his ways are down for the count. Never forget that our God, our Lord has always specialized in rising back up. Always. He's always used the resurrection to bring about victory. When it always seems like it's darkest, guess what happens? There's a bright light that pierces. When Jesus rose from the grave, it was the day star that shined upon us. There's going to be a rising again. We think that everything is broken right now. God is going to set it all right. Amen. He's always going to. And when he rises up, what happens? Look at verse number 14. When righteousness rises up, evil has no place. The sinners in Zion are then afraid. 
Trembling seizes the ungodly. Who among us can dwell with a consuming fire? Who can dwell with ever-burning flames? The one who lives righteously and speaks rightly, who refuses profit from extortion, who hand never takes a bribe, who stops his ears from listening in murderous plots and shuts his evil eyes against evil schemes. He will dwell on the heights. His refuge will be the rocky fortresses. His food provided, his water assured. Your eyes will see the king in his beauty and you will see a vast land. Your mind will meditate on past terror and say, where's the accountant? Where's the tribute collector? Where's the one who spied out our defense and was against us? You will no longer see barbarians, a people whose speech is difficult to comprehend, who stammer in a language that is not understood. Look at Zion, the city of our festival times. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, a peaceful pasture, a tent that does not wander, and his tent pegs will not be pulled up nor away from its cords will be loosed. For the majestic one, our Lord will be there, a place of rivers and broad streams where ships that are rowed will not go and majestic vessels will not pass. For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king. He will save us. A lot of imagery there, a lot of things, but the basic thing to come to understand is that there's a new, better way that is put in place and is a way of the king of kings. And the Lord of Lords. There's so many things to point out. Sinners no longer have have prosperity. So they tremble and they flee. The righteous and the just are given a proper place. The people are made safe. And the Lord is sufficient to be everything we need. Did you notice that? He is our judge. He is our lawgiver. And he is what? He is our king. He holds all three offices of power. And he is our salvation. Which tells us that God is all we need. And right now, church, God is all we need. Hasn't changed. See, what we get as the church, as the redeemed, we get the privilege of living like this kingdom is already here. Because we are the kingdom here on earth. Isn't this a much better design than what we see going on around us all all over the place? This is design that our soul truly longs for. This is the design that sounds right to us because it is right. We're created with this God-shaped hole in our heart to desire this. But yet sometimes we don't know that and we don't believe that it's actually going to come. And how will this system be possible, this better system? It's because, number three, a better judgment will fall. This better system will come because a better judgment will fall. In chapter 34, we see that God's system prevails because sin is no longer present. And that's hard to imagine, isn't it? Because if you've been saved, you've been saved from your sin, but you still live around sin and sin still has its effects and sin, sin still battles in the flesh with us. But imagine a world and imagine a life where there is no more temptation, there is no more sin, there's just nothing. If there's no sin, there's no more consequence and no more effects of sin, right? And so there's a better judgment that will fall. Verses 1 through 4 is this like prophecy of the day of the Lord when all the nations and all the works of the nations will be judged and the sinful works will be condemned. Then Isaiah shifts his attention to this nation called Edom. And to understand what's going on there, you have to understand what Edom did. Edom was this like little country that was constantly like nipping at the heels of Israel. And they, 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 sometimes they did it physically with armies and then other times they did it by just kind of getting in and beginning to like manipulate and scheme against them, present them with false idols to get them to stop following God. They were constantly nipping at Israel, trying to pull them away from God. Does that sound familiar? Temptation and sin. Is that, isn't that what Satan does with us? He's constantly nipping. Knows that he can't defeat us. Knows that he can't steal us. Because we're his. 
But what is he doing? If I could just get them to doubt God a little bit more, if I could just get them to, uh, to, to believe that God's way is not the way that they need to go, man, I can get them tied up in so much regret and shame and so much just problems from their sins that they'll never even have time for God. It seems like he's winning sometimes, doesn't it? Here's what the Bible says God does to Edom. Here's the future for Edom. Verse number eight. The Lord has a day of vengeance, a time of paying back Edom for its hostility against Zion. Edom's streams will be turned into pitch, her soil into sulfur, her land will become burning pitch. It will never go out day or night. Its smoke will go up forever. It will be desolate from generation to generation and no one will pass through it forever. Smoke and fire and burning continually. What does it sound like? It's a picture of the final judgment when Satan and his demons are cast in the lake of fire and he's, continu- he's forever, forever captured. There is judgment coming on sin. There's judgment coming on the tempter. There's judgment coming on the sinner. The only way to escape that judgment is to accept the freedom that we sang about this morning that we have in Jesus Christ. And guess guess who Jesus is? He's the king. He's the king who will reign forever. Verse number 12, I love this. There will not be a noble like the corrupt ones from chapter 32 to try to reestablish this when it's all done. It means there won't even be a trace of sin left. Won't even be a trace that can rise back up or grow. Anybody that gardens knows that weeds are a problem, right? All I can grow are weeds. That's it. It's all unsuccessful. Everybody knows that you have to eradicate the weeds or they will eventually begin to take over again. Here's what God says. There's going to be a better judgment than we fall. It will be once and final for all judgment over sin. It will be defeated and will not be allowed to again. That's the kind of kingdom, that's the kind of victory that we look forward to in Jesus Christ. But church, understand this, that in Jesus today, in our personal relationship with him, if you are saved, he has eradicated sin and the effects of sin on you. Is it still around us? Yes. Does it still live at our heels? Yes. But we will never pay the ultimate price for that sin again to death. This is our future. This is the better day. This is the better day. Isaiah said to cling to a promise from chapter 35 while we wait for the day. In verse 3 of chapter 35, it says, Strengthen the weak hands, steady the shaking knees, say to the cowardly, Be strong and do not fear. Here is your God. Vengeance against sin is coming. God's retribution is coming. He will save you. And just like we talked about with the kids, when God makes a promise, He keeps it. Here's the promise. Retribution is coming. It's coming. And in verse Two of chapter 33 says, Lord, be gracious to us. This is our prayer. We wait for you. Be our strength every morning in our salvation in time of trouble. See, both of these refrains, both of these prayers tell us that right now, sin has its place. Right now, sin is here and it has power. <laughs> and it seems like it's in control, but not forever. Sin will have its day too. And even now, God has provided salvation for us through that. So as we close out this morning, I want to look at one more truth about that better day. You have a better king, a better system, a better judgment. We'll also see that a better path is revealed. A better path or a better way is revealed. After seeing this description of the glorious nature of the day of God's kingdom being established, our appetites, they're all whetted for, okay, where's this kingdom? How can we get there? How can we make this happen? How can we see that happen? We wait for the day of the Lord. 
but we wait with confidence. And we wait close to him as well. Look at verse number 8 of chapter 35. It says, A road will be there and a way, and it will be called the holy way, or in your translation it may say the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, but there will, but it will be for the one who walks the path. Fools will not wander on it. There will be no lion there and no vicious beast will go up on it. Speaking of the safety and the protection that we have on this path, they will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk on it. And the ransom to the Lord will return and come to Zion with singing crowned with unending joy. Joy and gladness will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee. A few things that we have to unpack from this. This path that it's talking about, this highway of holiness, is Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. If you want to make it to see this kingdom, the path is Jesus. Notice Notice who travels on it. It says the unclean won't travel on it. Because the You can't come to Jesus and not be cleansed. The unclean won't travel on it. Fools will not travel on it because they will not see their need for Christ. But the righteous and the redeemed, those who have been made righteous by Christ and those who have been redeemed by him, they're the ones who travel on that road. And when it says that there is no lion and no danger on that road, what that means is as you are on that path, as you are with Christ, he has you forever in his grasp. No one's going to pluck you away from it. And what it means is, as you travel that path, as you travel that path with Christ, no one is going to pluck you off of that path. You're going to be there in that glorious kingdom. And where does this path lead? The path leads to better days. That land of Zion, like it says, we will march in together into Zion, which is that picture of the new kingdom. Crowned with unending joy, gladness will overtake us and sorrow and sighing will flee. Mind it's just of what it says in Revelation. Where God will wipe away every tear from the eye. And there will be nothing but praise and joy and glory forever with him. And the only way to reach that kingdom. You say, man, I can't wait for that kingdom. Maybe I can live long enough to see it. No, it's not even about living long enough to see it. It doesn't depend on you at all. It depends on Jesus. Amen. It depends on Jesus. And if you place your faith and trust in him. That pathway, that way, always oh, that way, the truth, the life. And he says about this, the way, the truth, and the life, he said this, no one comes to the Father except for me. No one comes to that day, that kingdom, that glorious state except for me. We can try to create a utopia here on earth. It's nothing compared to what God is going to do one day. And we live in the confidence of knowing that that, that that will come. So as we close out this morning and our band comes and gets ready to lead us in our final song this morning. I just want to ask you a couple questions. Number one, do you truly believe what we just looked at this one? Do you truly believe that better days are ahead? Because let's be honest, it, it can get real bogging down. For lack of a better word, it can just bogging down a lot to see, to turn on the news and see what's going on. To hear about cancer, to hear about all the problems, wars, and death, and sorrow. And you're like, man, this is just what we're living in. Because said, no, this is just a shadow and this is just a, 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 a vague picture of the glory that will be one day. And it's nowhere close to the beauty of the better day. So if you believe that the better day is ahead, the second question I have for you is, are you on that path? 
Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Have you placed your faith in Him to be your redemption and to be your hope? If you haven't, let today be the day. The beautiful thing about the highway to holiness, there's always a ramp to get on. There's always, there's all, it's always the perfect time to, to get on the ramp. Just call out to Him to be saved. And are you living in confidence of that better day? Say, hey, I'm saved, but I've just not been living in confidence of that. I've let, I just kind of let my, my lack of vision for what God has promised me just rob me of my joy. Rob me of my peace. Rob me of my confidence in Him. If that's you, and just say, God, just, just open my eyes to this promise again and, and, and feed my soul and my spirit. Just be confident in Him again. Find that peace and joy in Him. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day and thank you for the opportunity just to be here with... Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section, or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.